one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. It is, of course, Thursday. It's a day early, but we did play a game last night, the Emirates Cup, in which we beat Monaco 5-4 on penalties after a 1-1 draw in normal time. We'll talk about all that, but I did just want to talk a little bit about the the schedule, the Arscast schedule for the season ahead. Now, seeing as though we are back in the Champions League, which means Tuesday and Wednesday football rather than Thursday football, and the way that the podcast world has kind of changed since the last time we were in the Champions League. There is now a greater desire for immediacy, for example. So if we play a Champions League game on a Tuesday and then wait until Friday to talk about it on the Arsecast, that doesn't really tick anyone's boxes these days. So what we're going to do throughout the season is shift the Arsecast around a little bit. So it might be on a Wednesday. It might be on a Thursday. There are going to be times when it's on a Friday as well. But when there are games in midweek, we're going to try and cover those as immediately as we can. So this is like a precursor to that. I don't want to fuck up anybody's schedules and their listening schedules and all the rest, but it is what it is. People want to hear about the games. They want to talk about the games, discuss the games as and when they happen. So that's your heads up as to to what's coming this season in terms of what you would call the regular Arscast. Arscast Extra, of course, will continue on Mondays uh, for the most part as usual. A little bit later on after this conversation, I will give you a heads up on what else you can get from Arsblog podcast-wise in the season ahead. And that, of course, is tied in with our Patreon. We've got Patreon-exclusive podcasts. So in those weeks where perhaps the Arscast is on a Wednesday, you can fill that gap between Arscast and Arscast Extra with lots of the other stuff that we have going on Patreon. I'll tell you about our fantasy football, which is available exclusively to our Patreon members as well with some great prizes. All of that a bit later on in the show. But we did play last night. Monaco uh, visited the Emirates for the Emirates Cup. Interesting game in some respects, of course. And there's obviously the uh, the news about Gabriel Jesus's injury that we should cover. So with me to talk about that and lots more, it's Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hello, Andrew. Are you are you all recovered back on your home soil, right time zones? You can see, you know, we're we're on camera here together. Even though this is just audio, you can see I'm looking fresh faced. Ready you to are. go. Yeah, I am. It's the, it's the lack of um, margarita as a blood <laughs> replacement. <laughs> uh, you know, breakfast margaritas are a good thing in moderation, but perhaps not to the extent uh, that I indulged in those. But no, I'm ready. I'm here. I'm good. I'm, I'm getting set for a new season. And there is plenty to get our teeth into um, as we prepare, of course, for Community Shield on Sunday. Uh, and part of that preparation was a game last night uh, at the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal drew 1-1 with Monaco, but won 5-4 on penalties. The first silverware of what I'm expecting to be a trophy-laden season is in the bag. Um, what, what did you make of the team that Mikel Arteta picked? Because I did wonder if this was going to be a case where, with Sunday in mind... He tried to get some minutes into the legs of players who haven't played a huge amount so far this summer. So we saw Tomiyasu, Kivior, Smithrow, Vieira, uh, even Declan Rice to an extent, and, and Eddie Nketiah, whose selection up front is perhaps informed by some other bits and pieces that we'll get to. But, you know, this was a chance to to get competitive minutes into the legs of some players who, who we're going to need. 
Yeah, I thought the same. You know, it's quite an easy environment to bring these guys into, you know, a nice sunny evening at the Emirates Stadium, you know, eventually. Um, it's been raining a lot in London, I hear, but, oh, you know, the, the, <laughs> the sun Jesus. creeped out um, and, you know, gave the fans a nice nice evening out. I, I, I did expect it, um, and I think it's also needed. Like you said, a lot of these players who maybe would have been slightly marginalised or on the fringes last season. We had a very settled 11, 12, 13 players, but I think this was more about getting everybody some some minutes in their legs. How can they adapt to what we need, what we want from from the team on the pitch, tactically, physically? You know, and I, and I think that kind of showed in the end with a, a little bit of a slow performance that maybe lacked a bit of cohesion but I think overall it was a, a good exercise a good outing for them and I'm not sure if we've we've learned too much about anybody but you know I, I still think we're we're in a pre-season mode kind of thing where people are just maybe trying to avoid injuries and 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 yeah just get some sharpness in for the new season yeah I mean I think there is a a little bit of a discussion point to be had about the size of the squad and the preparations in comparison to to last summer and we'll get to that but I did want to focus on a, a couple of things one of which is Declan Rice now mm-hmm. he played his first game against Manchester United he played in in the the six if you like as the defensive midfielder. Last night he played as the eight, and Mikel Arteta talked about the versatility that he has and his ability to play in different positions, which is great. We know that Manchester City wanted Declan Rice as uh, a replacement for Ilkay Gundogan. So, you know, they obviously saw something in him as a player who can contribute further forward in the midfield. I think he did quite well. There was one excellent overlapping run, put in a great ball across the box, which we couldn't make the most of. But my sort of takeaway from his performance, and again, it's preseason, so I don't want to read too much into it, is that I feel like there is a very specific level of fitness that is required to play in this Mikel Arteta team, right? And I'm not saying he's unfit, far from it. But it just struck me on a couple of occasions, there was a moment in the in the first half where I think play maybe broke down and uh, Monaco transitioned, they drove forward. And he, you know, he was getting back, but it was maybe a little bit of a struggle. So I feel like uh, as part of his integration into this team, it's not just tactical. I think there is a physical integration as well that he is going to have to sort of up those levels. If you want to use Granit Xhaka as a comparison, this guy was a machine, you know, physically so robust, so fit. And when Mikel Arteta challenged him, uh, last season, we all know the story. He said, you know, you, you've got to come back and you've got to score goals and all that kind of stuff. Xhaka went away, trained harder, came back. He was like four kilograms lighter, you know, mm-hmm. and this was a guy who could get up and down the pitch. That was my main takeaway from Declan Rice is that I feel like it might just take him a little while to get there physically. Uh, the ability is 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 unquestionable, but it's, it's, uh, it's an aspect of, uh, you know, his integration that perhaps hasn't been discussed a great deal. Yeah, what you've said there with Shaka's is very, you know, pertinent, I would say, because we just kind of got used to him playing in that position. Um, and like you said, this man was, you know, a freak athlete. Um, he's, you know, everyone knows that he's not the fastest sprinter across, you know, 5, 10, 15 yards. But in terms of endurance, in terms of what he can offer the side, both defensively and offensively, getting up and down the pitch, it was incredible, you know, and we just kind of got accustomed to him being there. He knew the role very well, very quickly early on. And, you know, it's unquestionable for me that Rice will need some time to adapt. Um, you know, first of all, he's coming from an incredible season, having experienced a great high with West Ham, but also that meant he was finishing later than everybody else. He was on holidays later than everybody else. He was joining up with the team later than everybody else. You know, I think it's it's quite normal that even though he was, you know, in those little training camps with Bruno Fernandes and Rafael Leao in Portugal, <laughs> it's understandable that, you know, he needs some time to get up to speed. I think his performance to me felt a little bit safe um, mm-hmm. yesterday. You know, I think uh, he completed all of his passes, all 24 of his passes in the, in the first half. Um, 
but you know, a lot of them went back to Timber. A lot of them were going out wide to Martinelli, which which is fine. You know, yeah. I had I had no issue with that. We kind of just needed um, a bit of stability in those areas. But then, like you said, there were a couple of moments where you just saw him break free and. You know, there was a, a couple of runs that went beyond the last line of defence and he put those two good crosses in with his left foot and I just thought, yes, slowly, slowly, that's that's just what we needed from you in that position. I think the first 20, 25 minutes were just about him finding his feet, finding his range. You know, let's not forget, this is a big, a big personal day for him. You know, debut mm. at the Emirates Stadium. So, yeah, overall, I'm happy with him. I think you could clearly see that he was gassed <laughs> by about <laughs> 55, 60 minutes. And I think taking him off, um, you know, did him did him a big favour because, you know, it's always funny. Um, you know, footballers always have this ability to never look like they're sweating or working hard. But, you know, his face was all flushed red. And I just thought, you've done your time. You've done your hour. Get him off. Um, but, yeah quite happy to, to see him in that position. I think he can do it. I don't think it's the position he's being primed for um, or, or maybe where his long-term future lies. I think he will be that six eventually, but I'm sure maybe we'll talk about him a bit. Thomas Partey being there to maybe hand handle things in a in a smoother way in a, in a, in a bit of a transition season mm. is no bad thing. I thought he was excellent on the day yesterday. Yeah, he was very good, Partey. He was very good against Barcelona as well. And I do wonder if maybe mm. the deployment of Rice as the eight in this is is more physically taxing. So that's part of building his stamina and building his fitness mm-hmm. and, and getting him up to speed. And I do think, you know, having somebody like Thomas Partey there, um, you know, is important because... You know, he, we know he can do that. We know what he can do. We know what he can do in that position. It's like a safe pair of hands, if you like, um, or a known quantity in, in that position. So uh, it, it gives Rice a bit more time to, to adapt. I wanted to ask you about Jury and Timber, because for the second game in a row, he started at left back. Do you think that Mikel Arteta has any plans to play him at left back? Is that part of his thinking or do you think this is more about Arteta looking at this guy as somebody who he wants available for the team pretty much straight away whether that's at center half whether it's at right back whether it's at left back uh, I know when we did our our little um, new signing podcast on Patreon you sort of floated the idea of him as somebody who could also uh, um, play in midfield. And from everything I've seen from him so far, I wouldn't rule that out at all. He's a really exceptional looking footballer. His movement, just the little shimmies he's got. He just looks so calm, so assured. But the deployment at left back, is that because, you know, uh, he sees him ahead of Kieran Tierney, for example, in that left back position? Or is it really about getting this guy completely up to speed as quickly as he can? I think it's difficult to say. I mean, the ease and the speed at which he's managed to integrate himself into this team has been quite incredible. Um, You know, he came in straight away and and looked like he'd been here for for five years, you know, and I think that's a huge testament to him and his ability. Also his upbringing, his Ajax upbringing. I think there are parallels in how they play in terms of their style and tempo as, as you know, this Arsenal team plays under Mikel Arteta. Left back is still a really interesting point of discussion for me because we haven't seen a single minute of Zinchenko um, during preseason. Mm. And it's it's starting to worry me a little bit because, look, we know that his fitness was up and down last year, but ultimately him being able to play in that kind of central inverted role last season was how we managed to improve so quickly you know he was a big part of our of our shift into a top four team to a title challenging one and Mm. no I don't I don't know if anybody else maybe bar Joao Cancelo can can do what he did at that level and I think we've kind of forgotten how good he is but also it's getting very difficult to kind of look past these injury issues because we don't really know what's happening there. I think it's a calf injury, but Arteta keeps saying he's a couple of weeks. He's a couple of weeks. You know, it's been about two and a half months. (laughs) Yeah. This is getting very Arsene Wenger with Thomas Rosicki territory. And I'm not sure if it has anything to do with that uh, game for Ukraine thing. 
I don't know, but for me, Timber has very quickly put himself into the conversation at left back. We're not um, short of options there, are we? Because, you know, there is Timber, there is Kieran Tierney, as we've mentioned, Jakub Kivior has played there, Takahiro Tomiyasu can play there. So we're not short of, of options, but it's kind of how Mikel Arteta wants the team to to play. Like, I would be really curious to see the uh, Timber left, Ben Wright, or Ben White right. <laughs> ben Wright, there's a tongue twister for you. But you know what I mean? If, if that was the case, I'd be really curious to see how that played and how that balance uh, played out during the course of a game. Yeah, what just what I love is his kind of ease on the ball. Like you said, those little shimmies. I mean, there's, you know, people laugh with, with LeBron James in basketball because he's got this little like fade before he shoots for a three. Mm. And those little step overs that Timber does... You know, just a little step over the ball before, you know, heading in the other direction. It's like it works every time. Um, and even on his left side where there's maybe not a natural body position for a right footer, you know, you're always tempted to come in. I just think he looks so at ease. Um, as well in the in the duels, there's such a intention and intensity to the way that he plays. You know, he's like a shot in the arm every time. There's always mm. a pace and an intention to how he plays. And I think that really resonates with Arteta. Um, and look, I I knew he had played at left back. Um, I think mostly when he was younger, coming up through the, the age groups at Ajax. But look, if you're going to have an opportunity to play in this team, for me, he looks ready. He looks really ready. And yeah. I think in terms of the other options, Tomiyasu still looks a, a little bit rusty, maybe not as confident as, as we have seen him on the ball. I thought yesterday he was... Um, quite below his usual standard in possession. Tierney, I know the noises are quite positive from Arteta and maybe there's been like some rumours of of him maybe being given a second chance at the club with a, a maybe a new, slightly more conservative position. But again, he was inverting yesterday and I, ju I just don't see it. Mm. I don't see it. So all of a sudden, Timber's kind of shot himself up the, the pecking order. I think he starts. I think he starts on Sunday and I think he starts against... Um, Forest, honestly. Yeah. And, you know, that's no bad thing. I think he's adapted really well. He looks fit. He looks sharp. Really like his, his ability as he's in possession, but also defensively very sound, even if he, you know, he did get caught up the pitch a couple of times yesterday. Seamless is what I would say. Seamless. Yeah, fair enough. I yeah. mean, you mentioned Tommy Asu and he he came in. I, I do still think he's going to be an important player for us because of his, Absolutely. his versatility. But he did talk uh, last week, or maybe it was on the US tour, where he talked about losing confidence. And I think mm -hmm. we, you know, we, we analyze players for what they do on the pitch and maybe don't always take into account the... Um, what they're going through in their own minds. And, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later with, with regards to Aaron Ramsdale, because um, there's a great piece that we'll discuss. But Tommy Asu, you know, got injured, lost his place. Um, it does have an impact and it can take you a bit of time to regain your confidence. And I think some of the defensive wobbles, perhaps, that we, we experienced in the game against Monaco last night, you do have... Uh, uh, center half right back playing at left back you've got Kivior maybe playing or starting his first game of preseason you've got Tommy Asu uh, who hasn't played a great deal is still making his way back from what was a pretty serious injury and William Saliba who you know is an outstanding footballer but I feel like he is kind of a juggernaut in that when he's just a little bit below his level or physical level you know, you can you can notice that. And again, he's another player who's making his way back from mm -hmm. an injury which kept him out for the end of last season. They're obviously managing it, but they feel the way to manage it is to to give him minutes. He's played a lot during preseason Saliba. He started a lot of games. And it feels like, you know, you've got to get him up to like top speed, eighty eight miles per hour, and after that this DeLorean is fucking flying. He's gonna time travel his way through the season. But until such time, you know, as he gets there, it's a bit like after the World Cup where he didn't play. It took him another few games to get fully up to speed. I think that was kind of evident in his performance last night. The slide tackle, for example, that he got booked for, I think mm -hmm. it was a harsh booking. You know, there's no need to it book was, him for there. Was, yeah. There's no need to book him for that. But indicative, perhaps, of just not quite being at the uh, at his top level. 
Yeah, I think this preseason has kind of been one month long stress test. That back, that mm. back needs to stand up and and see how it's doing. And and fingers crossed, he he's looked very good. I mean, yesterday I agree he did look a little bit slow um, at times, but when you weigh the best part of 110 kilos and you're six foot four. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be the easiest thing in the world to find your top match fitness, you know, mm. and I think that's normal with every big body, even with Tomiyasu, you know, six foot two, big guy, rangy guy. It's going to take him a bit of time to to kind of find that that peak form, shall we say. So, and and that also applies to Declan Rice, maybe not as tall as Saliba, but mm. again, kind of big, wide shoulders, big legs. It's going to take these guys a bit of time. So, look, I think it was nice to see some players on the pitch yesterday, look, it's normal that we need to fine tune a couple of tactical things, but don't forget this was a side missing four or five key pillars. You know, Gabriel not in the not in the side, Erdegaard not in the side, Jesus not in the side, Saka not in the side. That's a big Ben White not in the side. Zinchenko as you already Zinchenko mentioned. Zinchenko not yeah. in the side. That's Jesus, a that's a lot yeah. of, you know, uh technical and tactical quality, but also familiarity to lose. You know, so I, I just think it gave me a bit of kind of Europa League match day two at home against, you know, Malmo kind mm. of vibes, you know. Yeah, we've come um, we've come round to this, actually, because I was going to leave this till a little bit later. But you've mentioned it. You've mentioned the unfamiliarity and you've mentioned, you know, the fact that these, uh, whether we call them automatisms or, or the familiarity of, of movement, knowing what your teammates are about. This mm -hmm. is a, a question I kind of have about this preseason. And I do wonder if it's going to be something that is played out a little bit towards the start of the season. Last time around, we had a fairly compact squad. And there was a fairly well-defined first 12, 13, 14 players, there or thereabouts. Now, we've very deliberately made the squad bigger. We've added big players, spent a lot of money, and I think the need for greater depth was evident to everybody. Mikel Arteta talked about it. You know, a couple of seasons in a row, we have sort of run out of steam or run out of legs. And you learn your lessons from that. You've got to have a bigger squad. But with that comes the challenge of managing a bigger group of players and making those connections between different players and different players and different systems. And Arteta's talked about wanting to be less predictable this season or, or having more unpredictability when you go into a game that people aren't going, particularly the opposition, aren't going, well, we know what Arsenal are going to do. We know how they're going to play. We know what, what lineup is going to be. You know, he wants that variety, but with that variety comes, you know, a, a greater degree of effort to make it work every time. Because if you're trained and drilled in one specific way, you know, that that becomes rote almost. So you kind of know automatically where people are going to be and what they're going to do and what they what way they're going to run, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But with a bigger squad, with new players, all, all that kind of stuff, it does, does make me worry just a little bit that this is going to be a season where we might just take a bit of time to get going. And I'm not trying to set expectations low or anything like that. I just think that is a reality of what we're facing with a squad that, let's face it, right now is is way too big. We've got five goalkeepers and 30 outfield players listed on the official site. It's like 10 players too many, basically. And that's a challenge for, for Edu and for Richard Garlick and for the guys who are selling, and there might be a bit of movement, and we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. But does is that something that concerns you at all? Um, you know, based on the fact that the success, if you want to call it success, I know people will say we didn't win anything, but the, the development and the progression has been built around a much smaller group of players and therefore it's easier to sort of get them going. Yes, I do agree. Um, I think last season we were kind of very spoiled during preseason because, you know, we signed Jesus uh, we got Saliba back. Zinchenko came on a bit later on and just kind of, we were like, what the hell is this? Who's coming to our team and is playing at left back and central midfield, playing a hundred passes a game. You know, everything was kind of falling into place. The high of making a couple of good signings from a big title winning team. They, they gave us an instant boost, that invigoration, you know, the six nil against Sevilla just before the season started. Everything was kind of, in the right direction, you know, no injuries. It was like, Jesus, we are 
flying at a thousand miles an hour here. And naturally that translated into how we started the season. Mm. I think this summer has been a bit stop start. We've made some new signings that, you know, have come into the side, but we're trying some new things, you know, Havertz coming in uh, primarily as a midfielder. That's new for him and new for us. Timber's coming in, learning, you know, new things coming in, playing a bit more in field. Um, Jesus has been on and off with injury. We've had other players on and off with injury. Rice coming in again, playing a slightly new role with new teammates. I think it's normal that, you know, that things might take a bit of time. Do we have time? That's another question. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm sure that, look, we've still got a little while to go until the first game of the season. I know we have the community shield coming up, but for me, that's just a, another kind of practice outing. I have no doubts that they will be drilled to the utmost seriousness um, before Forest for that lunchtime kickoff. I think it's it's normal. Yeah. I, I just think we were very, very spoiled last season. Players coming into form very quickly, looking sharp, you know, and we were just we just kind of rode that high into the start, you know, but I think this time it might take a little bit more players coming back at different times from their holidays. It was a long season, don't forget. There's been a World Cup. There are some heavy legs maybe still to contend with. You know, I think it's quite normal. Uh, yeah. Defensively, there were one or two things I, I maybe didn't like. I think even throughout preseason, I saw us running back towards our own goal a bit too much. Um, and when you're playing a high line, as we do, that's maybe not what you what, what you like to see. Um, but I mean, is that a... Um... Is that a defensive issue per se, or is that about where we're giving up possession and losing the ball, where it is a bit higher up the pitch? And of course, you're turning around, you're having to run backwards, but it's about perhaps that cohesion of play that we've talked about, that when you're more on top of it, you you don't break down in those areas and therefore you're not turned around. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's going to take some technical precision, you know, a few less or fewer misplaced passes, shall I say, maybe some uh, f some of our fullbacks deciding when to go, when to stay, that kind of thing. But again, when you're chopping and changing, I think it's quite normal. But mm. there were some times yesterday where I thought, you know, with a bit of better finishing, Monaco could maybe have had two or three. So there were two quick chances after half time when I thought, oof, got yeah. lucky there. So, you know, it's just about getting this, this rustiness out, shaking some rustiness out, also building some relationships, getting some minutes into the guys so they can be like really peak and ready for the start of the season. But I do agree with you. We might just take a couple of weeks to really find our, our peak. And maybe the fixture list has been a bit kind to us in that sense where we can kind of ease our way in without feeding the, feeling the instant need for a big statement win. Sure, know? sure. We'll, we'll come to centre forward now in a minute, but I did just want to ask you about two players who I think fit the bill when Mikel Arteta talked at the end of last season about, you know, having a deeper squad. Part of that was getting more out of players who didn't really contribute as much as we would have expected last time around. Two of those players started last night. Fabio Vieira played where Bakayo Saka plays and Emil Smith-Rowe started the game in Martin Odegaard's position. Just some mm -hmm. quick thoughts on on both of them, the performances last night. Again, you know, taking into account preseason and everything else, were you encouraged, discouraged? What did you make of both of those guys? I thought they were both good. Um, you know, maybe not um, as decisive as, as I would like in the final third, but in terms of their tactical discipline, I thought they both knew where to stand, when to come off the line. Saka does this wonderful thing where, you know, and I think it was a big point of focus for Arteta to try and get him away from the touchline, you know, because when you leave yourself there, you isolate yourself to the defender and it's easy to, you mm. know, for them to shepherd you out or to, to bring you back towards your own goal. There's a, there's a pass that Ben White used to make where Saka was just able to come inside and roll onto it first time. And I saw that a couple of times from Fabio Vieira yesterday and I just thought, okay, you're, you're showing a little bit of a little bit of something here to, to try and get off. Cause I think games often pass him by um, or he just gets kind of lost in the madness, but I did see him getting on the ball, coming inside, linking with people. There were a couple of, you know, aimless crosses into the box that were headed out, but mm. he looked physically better. You know, I think out there on the touchline, you're kind of isolated. There was a, a young defender for Monaco. I think I can't quite remember his name now, but he was like, 
playing as if this wasn't a friendly. He was really physical. Marapan, was that it? No, he was the centre back. I think it was a, it was a younger guy playing at left centre back, maybe Mangasa. Maybe? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was really on Fabio Vieira. Like every time he was controlling the ball, it was like bang, you know, challenge straight in. And I think that mm. was a good test for him because, you know, a lot of the concerns people have with Fabio Vieira are physical. But I did see him comfortable enough, and there was you know a few pop shots, a right-footed volley that the goalkeeper had to save, a few nice deliveries from corners. So. I think it was a positive step. He also played the full 90 minutes, um, which is a good thing. Mm. So, you know, slowly, slowly, he needs to find his feet in the side. And I think preseason has been a bit difficult for him again. And I think when you look at players like Sambi, for example, fan opinion can sway and decline very quickly. And I, I've, I've got the feeling that Vieira was kind of falling into that bracket but just teetering on the edge. And I kind of don't want him to because I think there's something there, but he needs opportunities to show it. And, I, you know, it wasn't an amazing performance, but I was happy enough with what he did yesterday. Um, yeah. yeah. Smith Rowe, again, when you're replacing Martin Odegaard, it's, it's never easy. But I, I do like his ability to receive the ball on the back foot, turn and drive. I think he injects a lovely pace into our play. And there were a couple of times where we had broken the Monaco press, which was quite strong, by the way, yesterday. Yeah. I thought they were they were really there to, to kind of play. Um, and there were a couple of times when he was in space and just, yeah, back foot, turn, go. You know, and I really love, I've always loved that with Smithrow. I, I, I do have one concern and that's his goal scoring that kind of innate natural goal scoring ability being slightly more muted, a bit deeper. I think he's really strong in the six yard box kind of coming onto things where maybe in that position, it might not be so um, obvious and apparent to get those opportunities. But the most important thing for me with Smith Rowe was that he looked fit and ready to play. You know, I, yeah. I, I thought he looked really good physically, which for me is the biggest win. But yeah, there were a couple of nice touches, bit of interchange with Nketiah, Vieira, that I liked, but again, they liked those little automatisms, those relationships that you really need to kind of play naturally with sure. someone. Sure, and just just to go back to Vieira very quickly, you know what you say there about him teetering. I think that's you know that's fair enough. I've uh, you know I've seen what people are saying. I understand why people might have doubts. I think what's key about this is that if those doubts were shared by Mikel Arteta, we know mm -hmm. we know what happens to a player in that position. I think if Arteta is persisting, if you want to call it persisting, or if he's keen to get him more involved. It's that he believes there's a player there that, that, that can do stuff for us, you know. So uh, I was happy to see him get the 90 minutes. I think there were a few things he could have done better yesterday. But I just get the sense that between his performance, what he was trying, and the fact that he stepped up and took a penalty again after missing yeah. the penalty against Manchester United, and it, it really affected him. I was there. I saw how downhearted he was after he missed that. But the fact that he was there and he felt confident enough to go and score a penalty again, you know, just signs that, you know, he's going in the right direction. And fingers crossed that continues uh, throughout the season. Let's talk Eddie and Keddie just for a minute, because uh, we've obviously got to place this in the context of the injury to Gabriel Jesus, and we'll, we'll come mm -hmm. to that. But Eddie scored a goal yesterday. He captained the team, which I thought was interesting. Um, his performance was pretty good, mm -hmm. and it just sort of weighed into my conviction that Eddie Nketiah is a player who needs to start games. His impact as a sub, I think, is really, really open to question. And when you have a player like Gabriel Jesus or we have a very first obvious first choice as your number nine you know I do think that lends itself to discussion and debate about the the ability of Eddie Nketiah to give you what you want throughout the course of a season but just on the basis of what he did in yesterday's game how did you view his performance and then we'll come around to Jesus and the injury and all the rest he played well I thought he played well um again it's not easy to to kind of lead the line for a a rotated side, you know, I think he did start slowly, like like most of the team, but grew into the game with some nice touches. There were some cute turns away from pressure, um, some good link up on the counter. I mean, he even played in Martinelli for that chance, I think before he eventually got crowded out by the goalkeeper. So, 
look, I have I have a lot of respect for Eddie because you know, I think the narrative around him, you know, what what's the opposite of shiny toy syndrome? Like a, yeah. a general sense of fatigue. He's been here for so long, we kind of know what he does, how he plays. And I think when you've got Balogun there, you know, sharp on the shoulder striker coming fresh of a twenty two goal season in France. Gabriel Jesus, you can't miss him on the pitch. He plays with a high-vis jacket on. You know, everything he does is with intention. He just jumps out at you. So I think he falls kind of victim to being a bit more understated, does a lot of his work in the shadows. But I thought he played well. Um, you know, he ran the channels well, worked hard. You know, and I, I think to be able to to score again... It's a, a classic Eddie goal from from the six yard box, kind of ghosting in. I mean, the defender completely um, let him go there, so I don't think they'll be too happy with that. But mm. you've got to be in those situations, and he is. Um, look, long term, again, I doubt whether he's the guy to help lead our line in the Champions League or for a sustained title charge. But but in the short term, I think he can contribute. You know, and I and I agree with you. He feels like someone to me who needs to be eased into a game, warmed up into a game and not someone who can kind of come into the chaos and find his feet because that's when I think he looks a bit lost. Yeah. I think he needs to be feeling defenders, feeling the tempo of the game to really then find himself where he can then maybe exploit space or kind of ghost into the spaces that he likes. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the this is the key question for me is like when he starts, he will score you a certain amount of goals. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's unfair to suggest that there is a gulf or a gap in quality um, between Gabriel Jesus and, and Eddie and Ketty. I don't think that's uh, no, an outrageous thing to say in any way. And we're now faced with a situation where we're going to be without Gabriel Jesus for a few weeks, Mikel Arteta says. Now, from <laughs> what I'm hearing, it could be six, uh, which is, you know, a good chunk of the first part of the season. And... My personal preference, I don't know whether this is something you would share, but in the absence of Gabriel Jesus, my first pick for the centre-forward position would be Leandro Trossard. Mm -hmm. um, that then leaves Eddie in the same situation where he's looking to make an impact on games as a substitute, and his track record in that regard is not good. It really isn't good. He's had a lot of substitute appearances without scoring a goal. When he starts, he's you know capable of scoring, uh, as, he, as he showed in that period um, when Jesus got injured at the World Cup and he came in and did pretty well. Mm -hmm. You know, scored a good few goals, got that brace against Manchester United, of course, that last gasp winner. Brilliant moment for him. But then he didn't score again for the rest of the season because most of his appearances were coming off the bench. Yeah. So if Arsenal are facing a scenario where Gabriel Jesus is going to be out, let's say for six weeks. And there is, I think then uh, a question about his fitness and his knee and a worry about that. And whether you are completely confident that once this like little, I don't think it's uncommon, for example, where a player has knee surgery and then requires a follow-up um, uh, operation or a little minor surgery to correct something that isn't quite right. I don't think that's uncommon in any way, but it does raise a question over that player where you think like, oh, you know, could it could it happen again? Could he be fine for one month, two months, three months? And then it's like, uh, you know, he's feeling it again. You know, that's, I don't think that's unrealistic to worry about. So we have a situation now where we've got to replace Jesus. We have options. You know, there is Eddie. There mm -hmm. is Trossard. There is Balagoon when he gets fit. There is Kai Havertz, which I don't think is ideal. Obviously, he had difficult times at Chelsea. But, you know, if push comes to shove, it's not as if we're absolutely out of options. Martinelli is somebody who could play at centre-forward as well if you really wanted to. So we, we do have options there. But Jesus is a big player, big influence. Um, you know, even if his goal scoring isn't what you want, you know, you, you mentioned it previously about what an impact he had on our team and the positivity that he brought. So how do you view this, A, injury? Um, how concerned are you by it? And, you know, what do you think Mikel Arteta is going to do with the options that he has and how he might replace him over the course of, of six weeks, if it's that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a huge blow. And just as he started to look like getting back to his best, you know, what I 
noticed was how comfortable he looked in contact. You know, mm. you know, not when he's being assaulted by Ronald Araujo, but yeah. you know that burst, that fluidity of movement. You know, when players trust their bodies again after injury, you really feel a freedom in their play. Um, and I think it's just so abundantly clear with Jesus that he was beginning to feel more like himself. Mm. And now all of a sudden we're going to lose him again for a few weeks in quote marks. I have to say the initial wording of the statement, you know, Gabby Jesus misses tonight's game due to any injury and will be assessed. And I was like, Oh, Oh shit. Yeah. I, oh. I, yeah. That, that, that really, um, that really worried me when I saw that. Yeah, that did not leave me with a good feeling. But, you know, Arteta said it's nothing major after the game. So I guess we'll have to trust him on that. It does feel more five to six week territory than three to four, I have to say, mm. um, especially when you've undergone a, a surgical procedure. You know, and it's it's really disappointing um, when you consider his effect on the team and how we started with him last season, you know. Another longer prognosis would have would have worried me even more, um, but I think over a shorter time frame we should be able to manage with our current options. I mean, interestingly, Arteta said it's been an issue for a few weeks now, so you know it's obviously something they've had to to manage. And ultimately, if you need to go under the knife, you need to go under the knife. At what point does it become an issue? <laughs> I think he's had a history of knee problems, um, so it is an issue. Yeah, I, it, it's a huge blow. I think what he gives us, nobody else can. Um, I think they can they can come close, but, it, you know, I think he's a top quality player. He elevated us last season. It's a huge blow. Mm. Um, and I hope, I, I hope that this is a kind of, this is the last thing we'll need to do with this bloody knee and, and we'd like you back soon. Yeah. Um, maybe like a Smith Rowe kind of thing where they just said, look, this is the surgery that you need get it done, come back, we'll wait for you. Um, and I feel quite bad because I've just talked Eddie up, but like you, Trossard would be my pick to replace Jesus, um, you know, during his absence. I think he's looked really sharp in preseason, I have to say, um, physically and in yeah. front of goal, both feet. I love the way he just pops shots off. Um, I think he should have squared the ball to Eddie yesterday. <laughs> and I don't think Eddie was too happy with him when he got played through by Jorginho, but I think stylistically is far more natural as the kind of, you know, quote unquote false nine. Mm. Um, and I think he's able to mirror a lot more comfortably what Arteta wants in a center forward. You know, I think on top form, Jesus gives this side a fluidity. Um, and I think Trossard can also mirror that in the way he floats around, drops a bit deep, um, you know, feels comfortable in congestion with his tight touches and control. But also the space he can vacate allows Saka to get in behind, Martinelli to get in behind, even Kai Havertz in this uh, number eight position. There could be a lot of him, you know, drifting into the back post. I just think with Eddie, things feel a bit more structured because he's he doesn't feel as comfortable in space. You know, I think he needs to feel the contact of the defenders. He does his best work in the penalty box. I think Trossard is a much more natural footballer who can closely mirror what we get with Jesus, even if maybe not to the quite to the standard. Although yeah. he's really looked good. He's really, really looked good. And whenever he's been called upon since signing, I, I have nothing but but good things to say about him. So he would be my my pick for sure. He would. And then that leaves us with the the Eddie as a sub uh, dilemma mm -hmm. again. And yes. at, whether or not yeah. that's something that they're concerned about or they're aware of or they talk about inside maybe they you know they just think you know at some point he's going to score a goal off the bench mm -hmm. uh, it, it is just something that that worries me a little bit and I don't think it's any lack of effort on the part of Eddie or anything like that I just think that as you say he 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 doesn't quite have the fluidity of of players like Trossard or Jesus and maybe that's mm -hmm. a question of experience and and all the rest but I I just have my doubts that you know it, it feels like he's being asked to do things that are sort of outside his comfort zone. He's giving it a good go. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I think if you're in a situation where sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't in the Premier League, you're going to drop points and it's going to be an issue. Uh, Arte what, so go on. what do you think about Balogun? Well, what I was going to ask you, you yeah. yeah. Um, because he, he, he was asked, Arteta, you know, if the injury to Jesus 
changes any transfer plans with, with Balogun. He said, the plan with Flo doesn't change at all. So I don't know if that means, well, we're going to sell him. Plan yeah, well, that's, that is it. <laughs> and I think this is, this is a moment where perhaps, you know, a sliding doors moment in a footballer's career, mm-hmm. you know, where he's been injured throughout preseason. They took him on the preseason tour to have a good look at him, to assess him, to see how he trained, to see how he would play, you know, to see how he could integrate with the team. And he's been injured and he's missed Mm -hmm. those games and he missed the chance last night, if not to start, to maybe get 30 minutes. Because maybe if you have Balogun on the bench and Eddie's played for an hour, this is the perfect moment to give Balogun 30 minutes and, and see. So, you know, he obviously did so well in France scored a lot of goals, but at Premier League level, is basically untested. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at, at this moment in time, given the injury to Jesus, I know we need to sell players, but I would be reluctant to let Balagoon go because, you know, we might need that depth. We might need another option at centre-forward. And look, he isn't... Uh, the same as Eddie, and he's not the same as Jesus. He's kind of in the same ballpark, but he does give you something a little bit different. So, you know, I would be inclined to hang on to him, you know, particularly as as we get to, it looks like we are prepared to spend a significant chunk of money on a new goalkeeper that I don't necessarily think we need. Mm-hmm. And... You could argue the toss about whether that money could be better invested elsewhere if there are other positions within the forward line that we might use that money on. I think that's a perfectly reasonable debate to have. But if that money is going to go to the goalkeeper, and if we are struggling to sell some of the other players, it would make perfect sense to me to hang on to Balagoon and to to have that option in Premier League games and in Champions League games and maybe six months down the line, we're having a different conversation about him, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. At least we will have a better knowledge of how he might fit into this team. And he gives us more depth in a position where, you know, even with Jesus, there are a certain amount of questions about about what we can do. I think it's a really interesting one. I mean, on, on the surface, he excites me. Uh, I think he's a, the kind of striker where you can you know, always expect one or two chances from him just because of the sheer quality of movement and finishing. You know, I think he can just kind of pop up in a second and get you a goal. But like you said, we we haven't seen him for Arsenal in a, in a long time. And I know we do need to sell players and he's kind of prime, you know, he's ticking the boxes for a sale, you know, above and beyond. This is like prime fattening up for a sale kind of territory. Mm. An amazing season out on loan young uh, US player that's going to have a, a huge, um, you know, market option behind him. But I, I don't know. I just, I, I wouldn't be opposed to keeping him, keeping him around until January. Because mm-hmm. um, his value is not going to drop. Let's be honest. Well, it might. You, I think it might. But, but will it? I'm not sure. It, I think I, even to like the huge standards of something that would be greatly, you know, not massively, but I think his stock yeah. right now off the back of that season in Liga is very high. And yes. I do think if he doesn't play, he doesn't score. If he does play and doesn't score, you know, it might affect the value. But I don't think it's going to like absolutely tank him. Yeah. I mean, we also need to consider that the value that we've placed on him, no one wants to touch at the moment. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's a difficult one. I don't think Arsenal have been particularly... Um, adventurous with their valuation. It's just that nobody's got any bloody money, um, you know, aside from the Premier League or Saudi Arabia. So we just need some, we need, we need a Crystal Palace. We need, we need a West Ham to get their act together. And, you know, because <laughs> West Ham a, have some money, you know, I wonder yeah, where they got it. <laughs> how the turntables, West Ham, um, you know, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see him in, a, in an Arsenal shirt because we haven't mm. in a long time, but I also understand that he's been injured and also he's like prime candidate number one for a sale. So it's a really difficult middle ground. I think if it had been a longer term issue for, for Jesus, 
the club maybe would would flirt with him staying, but I still think if if somebody comes in with favourable terms, he'll he'll be out the door. Yeah, um, well, but I do think he has skills that can translate to to what we need. Yeah, it's we'll, just difficult. It's just difficult. We will, uh, you know, we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, obviously, internally, they will be much more aware of the seriousness of Jesus's injury, the prognosis, mm-hmm. his time scale, and all the rest of it. So that will certainly inform what they do in in that position but you know i do think there is a, a conversation to be had about our forward line and maybe just adding something different to it before the end of the the transfer window whether that's giving balagoon a chance or selling balagoon and bringing somebody else in you know we are mm-hmm. uh, being linked or have been linked with forwards who can play you know on the right as a striker as a nine you know there mm-hmm. are names out there so we'll wait and see uh, exactly what happens there um a few things just to finish nicolas pepe linked with besiktas uh, another one of those where it appears based on the reporting so far and look we have to take all of this with a, a pinch of salt because it is the summer it is silly season and and stories can get out there and become true until such time as we find out they're not but a suggestion that his contract at arsenal would be terminated he could go to turkey and play for besiktas i mean it feels very credible based on everything that we know about you know, Pepe, about the way players in his position have been uh, let go from Arsenal and about what's open to him at this point and, and the kind of move and the kind of clubs that would be interested in a player who, you know, let's face it, has, um, you know, really lost his way. Uh, having arrived at mm-hmm. Arsenal in a, a blaze of glory and excitement, it just hasn't gone his way. The The loan spell at Nice last season was pretty underwhelming, all things considered. So... Your thoughts on on Pepe and Nice and and where it might go, or Besiktas I mean, rather. Sorry. Yeah, this is this has got like contract termination written all over it. Even if they offer us a you know one million or two million fee, it's like yep, take it. Um, mm. Because even if we do terminate the deal, I think we'd save what five or six million um, off off the wage bill. You know, it's 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 a shame. It's a shame because. It was a really exciting signing at the time for one of the most, you know, in-demand players in Europe. You know, let's not mm. forget, but, you know, we obviously overpaid um, and all the other questionable <laughs> side <laughs> notes that came along with that deal. Um, but, yeah, it's a shame. I think he's he's completely lost his way. Injuries, you know, even going back to France last year didn't help. I'm just sad that nobody, uh, you know, in Saudi Arabia was tempted to to maybe come in and give us an, a, a nice uh, a nice deal. But ultimately, it's quite a hard, harsh way of saying it. But it's it's damaged goods, um, and yeah, I, I nothing against the the the, the person. Um, you know, I, I don't think he ever down tools or anything at Arsenal. I don't think he was ever a, a disruptive influence. It just didn't work. Um, we didn't get our scouting right. We paid too much. Um, and I think he kind of joined in a really bad moment for the club as well with yeah. a lot of other issues going on. And it's just kind of been a, an absolute disaster. So he needs to go for his sake. We need to get him off our books for our sake. And let's close this this chapter on a, yeah. on a pretty awful book. Yeah, it is. And look, I hope... You know, if he does go there or wherever he goes, he can get himself back on track, you know, because Mm -hmm. sometimes, like you say, a player can arrive and there's a lot of excitement. But, you know, there was a lot going on at Arsenal at that time. It was not our finest moment. And I think increasingly he became a bad fit for what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go. And then, of course, the emergence of Bakayo Saka has a big impact on him. Um, So, you know... He didn't seem like a bad guy in any way, so fingers crossed he can get his uh, get his yeah. career back on track. And look, there are a lot of players in this squad who who we need to get moving. Um, mm-hmm. We'll wait and see. One of them, uh, young player Marquinhos, might be going to Olympiacos. Seems, again, like a, a decent idea to get some uh, playing time into a young player who, who does need to develop. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I, I just think it's quite interesting that this morning they've had a very public beef with... Real Valladolid because they they wanted to loan Kennedy. You remember the guy who used to yeah. play for Chelsea? Yeah. Um, and apparently they sent him back because he wasn't fit. 
Um, and Real Valladolid came out with a statement and said, you know, he's absolutely fit. We've got the data here. It's it's your politics, your internal politics that are Uh-oh. breaking down the deal here. <laughs> so just, you know, that uh, sounds like a good place to send a 20-year-old young player who needs <laughs> who needs consistent minutes. But yeah, he, he needs game time. I think he was a bit underwhelming at Norwich last season, to be fair. I think he scored one goal, um, got sent off as well. So he needs game time. I don't think he's got much of much of a future here at Arsenal. But if we can maybe flip him like we did Austin Trusty, for example, or are about to flip yeah. Austin Trusty, you know, I think we've done our work there. Olympiacos a bit of a well, obviously owned by the same guy who owns Nottingham Forest. There are stories this morning about Nottingham Forest owing millions and millions to players, to agents, <laughs> that they could be facing legal action, potential winding up. Um, whether that has any impact on their potential move for for Matt Turner, which then in turn could have a, an impact on whatever's going on with David Raya. We'll have to wait and see. Like you know, do you as Arsenal? If a club is facing a situation like that and you're negotiating what you hope is probably a decent fee for an international goalkeeper, does mm-hmm. that give you pause for thought that you go, okay, well, we've agreed a fee of, well, let's say, 10 million. I don't know if that's what's happening or not, but like, are you ever going to see that money? It's got to put some yeah, question I mean, marks in your mind, It's an right? interesting one. It's an interesting one. I mean, Forest have been a a very strange club over the last few years in terms of their transfer business. So maybe it's something to consider for sure, but uh, I'm sure Turner will have other suitors Mm. if if it doesn't quite fall for him there. Finally, I just wanted to talk about uh, a piece that came out this morning, uh, Aaron Ramsdale writing in the Players' Tribune, and I will put a link to this in the show notes if people haven't already read it. So amazingly open and forthright and honest about the difficulties that he has faced in his career from signing for Arsenal, you know, the, the backlash that, that uh, greeted his links with the club, which, you know, we've all um, been aware of and talked about. And look, social media as a barometer for human existence is not always the greatest, but, you know, <laughs> those are things uh, that people have to overcome in the society that we live in. But But really open and honest about you know, uh, some personal issues that he's faced, his determination to to uh, achieve things with Arsenal, uh, talks very openly about his brother who is gay, talks about the miscarriage that he and his wife experienced. And three days later, he played at, at White Hart Lane and put in one of the goalkeeping performances of the season, which is quite an interesting aspect to that win because I thought we were great that day and fully deserved it. But Ramsdale made a load of saves and then, of course, got kicked by that idiot Tottenham fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he comes across as such an uh, such a good guy and somebody who you can't help but back and be behind and want to succeed at Arsenal. And I think in the in the light of all these. Uh, stories about David Ryan, what that might mean for him or what that might mean for the goalkeeping position at Arsenal, you you absolutely get the sense that if there's a fight to be had, he will absolutely go for it with everything that he's got. Absolutely. I mean, you, you even saw it in the piece, he's had to fight for everything, for everything he's ever had in, in the sport, you know? And I what I loved about this piece was, I think the Players' Tribune pieces can be a bit fluff sometimes, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, but this one just felt really authentically Ramsdale, you know, and I, and I, that really came across, his personality really came across in how it was written, how, you know, you could imagine him saying it kind of thing. Sure. Um, And he's had such a horrible time, you know, and this is the stuff that we don't see. We don't understand the mental side of football that can be, especially nowadays, so, exhausting and difficult to manage. I mean, these are guys who are in their early to mid twenties navigating their careers and they're just open. It's open season for the public, you know, for anybody who wants to have a go at you, they can do it in two minutes, you Mm. know? And I don't know. I just have a huge amount of respect for him as a person. I think he's always um, been very open, stood up to the challenge. I mean, my heart sank when he spoke about his wife having a miscarriage on on the aeroplane home from their holidays and, and how he had to sit there for six hours and just kind of digest that information. I mean, mm. he's 24 years old. This is, you know, an awful, an awful, awful situation to have to 
to manage in a, in a young family, recently married. So I'm really glad that he found a support structure and support network at Arsenal. He spoke in glowing terms of Mikel Arteta. Um, and I'm just so glad that he felt comfortable to go home and share that with his manager, with his teammates. Um, but also for us as a club, I think we have, we're lucky to have him. You know, we're lucky to have this guy representing us, to have him around the club. Um, he's a great representative. And I think whatever happens with this interest, um, you know, with David Raya, I have no doubt in my mind that, yes, there were times he wobbled towards the end of last season. And maybe this article gives us an insight into why. Um, but I do think he's absolutely up for a fight. He's had to do it his whole career, you know, and mm. there's no guarantee that Raya comes in and is number one. There's no guarantee that Ramsdale stays as number one. But if there's anybody to kind of puff his chest out and say, look, come on then, you want me? Let's go. Yeah. Um, and I think he's... He's brilliant and I'm, and I'm really glad we've, we've got to see this and understand this part of his life because it's an important message to give, not only in his own personal situation, but in terms of his brother, acceptance in, in football, acceptance in life. I just think we need to be so much kinder to people and him reiterating that point was, was just a really yeah. nice note to finish on. I agree. I, I think it was an important part of his, his piece. It wasn't just his own struggles, but to make himself an ally. You know, mm -hmm. when certain high-profile players who have been uh, supportive of the LGBTQ plus community have mm -hmm. sort of gone back on their word, you know, it, it is more difficult these days to speak out and, and to stand up for what you believe in and to, to respect people for who they are. And, and uh, you know, it was a, a really brilliant piece. If you haven't read it, it is in the show notes. It's well worth your time. Um, and as Phil says, you can read it in the voice of Aaron Ramsdale, which is basically uh, the best compliment you can give it. Right, we better leave it there. Um, as ever, Phil, great to talk to you and we'll catch up soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much indeed to Phil. You can find him on Twitter. He is at underscore Phil Costa, at underscore Phil Costa. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right. I did mention that I was going to talk a little bit about what you can get uh, if you become an Arsebug member on Patreon. First, our Fantasy Football League is up and running. It is available to all Patreon members. We've got some incredible prizes to give away. First place this time around wins €1,000 plus an Arsenal shirt. We've got a second prize of €500 plus an Arsenal shirt. Third prize, €250 plus an Arsenal shirt. And whoever comes in in fourth place gets our now famous fourth place trophy. What else could it be? Plus an Arsenal shirt. You do have to be an Arsebog member on Patreon to join and you do have to be an Arsebog member on Patreon throughout the season to be eligible for those prizes. We give you details of that on the site as well. Well, as well as that, throughout the season, this is what you get, right? You get ad-free versions of the Arsecast, an Arsecast Extra. You get a preview podcast for every Premier League game and European game. You get a podcast called The 30, in which we do a roundup of the Premier League action every week. Myself and Phil do that one. You've got Waffle, the podcast in which myself and James talk about anything and everything except Arsenal. We also do podcasts when we make new signings. We've got Poorly Drawn Month, a recap every month of what's gone on, uh, illustrated and sometimes animated by Poorly Drawn Arsenal. You get access to the Discord chat server. There's loads of archive content there. And if you haven't already noticed, 
Both Arsblog and Arsblog News are now completely and utterly ad-free. No ads on the website whatsoever. We're going to take the ads out of the apps as well, the official uh, iOS and Android apps. So Arsblog is going to be completely and utterly ad-free, giving you, the reader, listener, um, you know, a much better experience. And all of that is down to you guys and your support on Patreon. So if all that tickles your fancy for basically the price of a pint every month, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash arsebug, patreon.com forward slash arsebug. I also meant to mention that we're going to be expanding our podcast coverage of the Arsenal women throughout this season as well. So all of that plays into what we do here on the website with your support. So thank you very much indeed if you're already a member. All the stuff that's always been free will remain free to everybody but if you fancy a bit more and you fancy supporting what we do it's patreon.com forward slash arsblog we will have a community shield preview podcast available for our patreon members tomorrow friday it's a big game against manchester city the team that pipped us to the title last season Mikel arteta will meet the press uh, on friday so we'll cover all of that uh, in tomorrow's patreon podcast for now thank you very much indeed as always for listening we'll have an arsecast extra for you on monday please do join us for that in the meantime have a great weekend and we will catch you on the next one until then cheers Bye-bye.